financial freedom leads to personal freedom, which leads to philosophical freedom. That without financial freedom, people have to focus on things like paying their rent, paying their mortgage, paying their medical bills, and they can't actually take the risk that is necessary in today's world to think for themselves. Are you starting your journey into real estate, business, or entrepreneurship? Are you in need of strategies to help you reach your daily goals? That's right. Then the Oliver Perry Show is for you. Come and get the experiences and strategies to help you be successful. And now, your host, Oliver Perry. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, whoever you are. I'm Oliver Perry. This is the Oliver Perry Show. Uh, today, um, I'm going to be able to talk to a guest who is a legend in their own right. Um, we're waiting on her to come in right now at the moment, so it's just going to be you and me for a little bit. But she's a private equity investor. Um, she has a, a couple hundred million bucks uh, she works with with a fund by the name of Entourage Effect Capital. It's her and her team, a couple of partners of hers, are working on some stuff there. It's focusing on the uh, cannabis space. Uh, she's also uh, used to work in the emerging markets area where she'd discover, you know, things that are coming up that are going to be hot and she'd find ways to get into them, that kind of thing. She's also uh, used to be a podcast host and she hosted a podcast by the name of The Struggle Isn't Real. Excuse me, my bad. That's something in my eye. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> the Struggle Isn't Real. And she's the founder and writer for a newsletter called Contrarian Thinking. Now, as I said, she's not here at, at the moment yet. I'm waiting on her to come in, but. Uh, there's some really interesting discussions that are going to be had with her today. Um, she's a really, really smart lady, really, really smart lady. And full transparency, I screwed up a little bit because for whatever reason, on all my promotion stuff, promotional stuff, it has CODI on it. And it's not CODI, it's CODIE. And I'm not sure how I missed that. Obviously, writing is not my strong suit. So we're definitely gonna have a long discussion about that. Uh, just, you know, her writing skills in general. She's had a lot of experience and she's done a lot of great, great things in the space that she's in. And even if um, for God, God knows, I pray everything's OK with her and that she doesn't miss. But even if she did, you know, I definitely want you guys to take the second to check out contrarianthinking.co. Uh, that's contrarianthinking, C-O-N-T-R-A-R-I-A-N-T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G dot C-O. And man, when I say her thought process on how things work in the world and how money works and how we should be looking at money and how should we we should be approaching money is way different and well in left field sometimes uh, <laughs> in in everybody's opinion anybody probably even in hers to be true but it's just amazing her thought process and how she actions now I first ran into her while in uh, a pr- program that I am a part of called uh, emerge. And got to sit down and hear her speak. And she talked about the cannabis industry and how some of the things she's done there. And, and then I started, I really turned on to her and got really into her as a person and as a someone who's an investor and who's on a higher level than I. And God knows, I'm sure, and I'll get to that level at some point in time. Time is not now, but we are all growing in our own time and own pace. So I have no qualms and no issues with that. So um, she is now in the green room. What up? <laughs> what up, Cody? Uh, she's in the green room as we speak. So I'm going to bring her in. I'm super excited. Um, give me a couple seconds. Let me get a couple things squared away real quick. And there she is. And y'all not supposed to see her yet. So I'm going to do something else to take her out of there. <laughs> so um, I'm very, very excited to introduce Cody. So we're going to hit the intro and then we're going to go ahead and get into it. All right. 
Cody, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I'm be yeah. doing some uh, production <laughs> editing as we speak, as we go into this. How are you, Cody? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Sorry it took me a few minutes to get in. I've got to be smarter than the than the login, I guess. No, you're <laughs> you're good. I'm very good at stalling, as everyone got to bear witness to just now. I've got no problems with it. And let's start. So starting out, um, I've kind of went into a little bit of back about backstory, and I have to apologize to you publicly and openly. I messed up the E. I don't know what happened, but I had C O D I, and I was like. Oh, I'm good. You know, good. I was excited, right? And I looked at my, I looked at my watch call. I was like, uh oh, there's an E missing. <laughs> oh, believe so, me, you were not the first, and you will not be the last. Zero issues, my friend. God knows. Okay, no worries. Fantastic. So, um, again, ladies and gentlemen, Cody Sanchez, and she is a beast. And Cody, I, I want to make sure that I didn't miss anything. I talked about you being a private equity investor um, with the entourage or working in Entourage Effect um, Capital. I talked about how you used to be in emerging markets um, and used to be the the host of the Struggle is Real podcast, which we'll definitely get into because that one that one's one of my favorites. And then as you're doing now, the, the founder and the writer for Contrary and Thinking, uh, I don't want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Did I miss anything there? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing is we have unconventional acquisitions, which is where we buy and sell small businesses. Um, okay. And we do that kind of across the board. And, uh, and yeah, but besides that, that, that's it. We play in the SMB space. Okay, nice. Fantastic. Okay, cool. So good. I didn't miss too much. So let's let's just jump right into it. And let's start, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with something that you wrote in May. Um, and forgive me if I misquote the time frame. I think it's like the 21st. And you wrote about your husband and some of the things that you learned from him while you've been oh, no, sorry, are you guys you guys are married now, right? Or are you still fiance status? Yep. Uh, no, no, no. We are, we're still fiance status. Okay. We're fault. supposed to get married during COVID, but um, no, it's, my, it's actually my bad. I always call him my husband because we basically were supposed to be, and then we just couldn't get it done like so many others. Right. Okay. So, okay. So your fiance, and you talked about how he is in the special operations area, specifically a SEAL, and how, mm -hmm. you know, you learned some things from him. I wanted to be able to hear kind of your full story on your thought process behind one writing that article because that's I know a lot of I know a lot of special forces guys I'm in the military myself and they're normally mm -hmm. a little bit more private when it comes to that part of it they don't go they're not boastful or bragful about it which is really impressive but having that conversation with them and really pulling all that information out of him how did that go and how has what what happened there affected how you kind of approach your process and business and all that great stuff. Yeah, sure. So yeah, he's he's very private, you know, as I know in the, or as you know, if you read the post, there's a picture of him, but it's just the back of him and no face. And he's always yelling at me because I'm on Instagram all the time and he doesn't like to be. Um, so, um, so there's definitely that component of it. But I think it's actually beautiful because, you know, he was in the special forces and, and it was all about team, right? It was about the we and not I, at least that's how he explains it to me, somebody who's an outsider and, and never really served. And so, um, you know, the interesting part is why I wrote that piece was we had sat down years ago now, and I think it's a great practice to write down sort of your ethics and moral code. What do you stand for? There's that famous quote, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. And so we had, um, we had taken uh, some time apart and basically just said, let's write this down for each of us. What is it? What do we 
stand for? And that is what came out um, of that post is it was his thoughts on the matter. And I thought they were so interesting because mine were very tactical and straightforward and, um, you know, and his were a little bit more lyrical and I think broad based. And so I thought we should share it because it was something that I wish more leaders did was sit and think about what is their ethics and what is the compass on which they want to navigate. And um, yeah, and so he was kind enough to let me share it, although he, he definitely took out some of the some of the juicier parts. <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But he's dope for it. I wanted to shout him out because I really appreciated that. Just as being a military I'll tell member him myself, that. please do. And just a military member myself. And then on top of that, to be who he is as far as being special operations and all that great stuff and having such a dope person in his household with him as his better half, uh, you know, half, when COVID is over, of course, um, is really impressive. And you're a military spouse. You will be a military spouse. Might as well be now. But um, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing to be able to see and, and how dope that is. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, too, is as well with that in mind is when you wrote that, how did that your your approach to things is <laughs> your contrarian thinking is amazing. I love it. I brag about it quite often um, and I talk about it a lot, but I just love the way your thought process works. How, but I, I don't know how you do it, if that makes sense. Like it's, it feels like it's something that is one ornate and natural to you, but it's also something that you clearly cultivated and you've built and you've grown over the years, both doing journalism and, and what have you. If, I, if someone wanted to become a contrarian thinker like you are on a constant, consistent basis, how, what would be your advice on how they would do that? Well, the first thing I think you need to do is, um, you know, for me, I, I basically thought that the most important aspect was that, um, I write down sort of consistently the things that drew to me, the things that I have questioned on. And, um, I don't know if we've actually lost action here. Breaking uh, up a little I don't bit. see you anymore. Oliver. Oh, no, no. So that's me. Oh, this is, this is all production value. <laughs> This is all oh, perfect. So what'll happen is you'll see the transitions. <laughs> like, he <Yeah>. hid me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still I'm still here. I want to make sure you have the stage so that you can speak to the people and they can really see your face and, and, and get to talk to you. Kind of have that Excuse, you could please exit again. Yeah, I can get back. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> literally I didn't go live again. Sorry. <laughs> so um so so mo the most important thing that I think you can do is uh, write down what you're thinking, write down right. the words that you wish to live by. And it's the same thing that Chris and I that I talked to you about in the last segment. Um, but if you actually want to think for yourself, I've found that writing it down is hugely helpful. So I want to start something this month called the 100 Lunch, which is 100 days of every day journaling something. And if you're only journaling, I I hate journaling one day, getting it onto a piece of paper, um, I think is really important. It's hard to look fallacies or the falsities in the fate and they're staring right back in front of you. It's much easier to let them fly from your, it's hard right. to look on a piece of paper. And so that would be the first thing I would say to people. And then the second be to follow people, to engage with people, conversation, even debatable, who you completely disagree with. And try to just listen to them mm -hmm. and tell you and why they think the way that they think in a non-judgmental way. I am always curious as a journalist, get to the why of a human. I think there's a few people that have complete moral absolute within them, meaning they're total bad or they're total good. 
every bit of gray. And so um, the, the biggest thing that stops people from being sort of critical thinkers or contrarian thinkers is that they have all the answers and they de-minimize and make judgments about who think and instead ask yourselves why. That's such a more interesting question than trying to give them a statement of you are right. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense because just writing down a question or just a thought process or something allows you the moment to reflect on it and really dig a little bit deeper and, and figure out what it is that drove you to that question. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I'd never thought of it like that. But of course, this is why it's contrarian thinking. So uh, it, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, really good point. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about your uh, just your background in kind of the real estate space. So I know you've done quite a bit in real estate. Um, you have a modular home now, if I'm correct. Uh, I have done a little bit of research. I'm not too, too bad. Uh, so, so you've got a modular home. What are your thoughts? Because I know you're nailing it. Right? I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying, Cody. I'm trying. All right. So I know you see things, like I said, a lot differently than others. As this whole COVID-19 thing is happening, God willing, is coming to an end. How do you see the market as it stands as far as real estate changing, whether it be modular homes, more tiny homes? I know I'm seeing a lot of the, the built for rent stuff is happening right now. What are your thought processes on what's coming as opposed to what is as we speak right now? Well, um, I've talked about this a bit, but I'm highly concerned about inflation. And so I think when it comes to real estate, that is a counter to inflation, at least historically through inflationary cycles that helped to have some sort of real estate that could appreciate that is a hard debt that isn't tied. Um, and so from that perspective, I like real estate. I do think that real estate expensive right now and people are buying it up across the US. So I'm not sure I think you're getting anything at a discount right now. And I would be careful about having a completely overweighted portfolio to it. Um, my two thoughts, I think it's a great class. I think, you know, most people should have some exposure to it. But, um, you know, you want to be thoughtful about how you buy today. And it's really cheap. It's really inexpensive to go out and get money at you know, anywhere from, let's call it 3% mortgage rates up to four, four and a half. Um, that's pretty incredible. So um, I, I do think that's interesting and, pretty, you know, won't be something that lasts. Although Jerome Paul and the Fed continues to uh, to keep zero. So, so who knows? Right. That's a good point. That's a very good thought process on that. Uh, I've, I've seen, it's just intriguing at the moment, just as things are developing and train, changing. Um, a lot of the foreclosures still hanging back in the balance as forbearance is pending. And, you know, like I said, you see the renter owned space, which the, the per sorry, the build to rent space is growing relatively quickly, which just seemed kind of out of the blue and, and nowhere. Granted, most things that are really successful do, despite how uh, soon they are on. Um, it's just it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, so, Cody, we are live and we've got one one guest, one person who's kind of popping in. Uh, by the name of Mike Tarvella. Uh, Mike wanted to say hi, and I'm sure Cody says hi as well, Mike, but we're going to keep going. So uh, <laughs> with that said, um, you know, Cody, your your background in journalism, your background in business is really widely varied, specifically once you get to the um, the cannabis space. How did you how did you get into because you went from like your background is nuts. Going, going, touring with coyotes and doing your real, your, uh, you know, your journalism stuff, doing the emerging markets, discovering, discovering your talents there, and then you get into cannabis. How did, how did that happen? 
Well, I, you know, I'm always trying to find the opportunity between um, sort of where the common narrative is and what I would call the, the numbers are or the truth. And so when I was in Latin America, as you were alluding to, and, and when I was building a business there, there was this huge arbitrage opportunity, right? And arbitrage just means that I can buy something from for a dollar and the market will buy it or the masses or most people might buy it for $5. So I have the $4 difference in between the two is where I make my money. And so there's usually these arbitrage opportunities wherever something is new or chaotic or difficult. And when I built a business in Latin America, that was the case. That's why they call it an emerging market. It's a newly coming out market. And so I got into emerging markets for that reason is I could... I could move faster in a pond in which there weren't very many swish uh, fish swimming. And so um, that's why I got into Latin America. Now, towards the end of my career in Latin America, I felt like, um, you know, the margins, how much money we could make on things compared to the rest of um, the industry, they were, they were closing, they were compressing, they were getting smaller. And so uh, I was kind of looking for what's my emerging market. And, um, in that case, I was thinking ge- geographically at that point, Latin America. But then I started to hear about cannabis. And I hear about cannabis first from a philanthropic standpoint, because as you said, you know, my my mom's a veteran and, um, you know, a lot of veterans who had PTSD or, um, you know, anxiety, depression were using cannabis as a medicine to help them. And so we invested first in some ways for veterans to get access to cannabis. Um, But that opened this whole aperture to me, this huge world I didn't know about to the benefits of cannabis and the fact that, again, the market didn't have a lot of fish in it. I was one of the few swimming. And so I was like, wait a second, we could do well and we could do some good. And so that's how I got into cannabis. And anytime I want to get into a new industry, I think the smartest thing to always do is one, start investing in it, even if it's a small amount into publicly held stocks, then you start to put some skin on the table, right? Some skin in the game. And then two, to go where the game is played. So go to a couple conferences, sit in, start to immerse yourself. And so that's how I got into the industry um, before becoming a partner at a private equity firm in the space. Wow, I like it. That's uh, that's dope. So matter of fact, that, that segues into something else that I wanted to ask you specifically about your your research process. One I what I feel is your one thing that you're very very good at, and I'm guessing, of course, based on your background and things that you've done, is you're very good at the research part of it. Like you have a seem to have an innate ability to find something like this and know where to go. I think it's a key to what makes you so great as contrarian thinking a thinker as well. I wanted to ask you, what does that process look like for you when you find something you're interested in and you really start digging in? How does that how does that process go? And I, I, I need to learn how to do that so I can do that too. By the way. Say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you're right. I do approach everything like a journalist. So when I think about getting into a new arena, you know, what it usually looks like is a five step process. It goes something like, like this. I get in front of my computer, which is sitting right here. And I start Googling whatever the subject matter is. If it's cannabis, I start going down the rabbit hole of as many different articles as I can find, opening a bunch of new tabs until there's so many across the top that you basically are going to get anxiety just from looking at them. And at the same time as I'm doing this, I have a Word document open on another screen or on another tab. And basically I'm pulling sources you know, that I find, I'm pulling statistics that are interesting. And I'm, I'm not even really trying to do anything at this point, except paint a picture. I just want to understand 
understand what the landscape of something is. And, you know, I might pull some interesting graphs into there. I'm definitely going to pull a list of people I want to speak to later. And then after I've probably done something like that over the course of a weekend, I would create, and I think we created forever ago for people that wanted to get into cannabis, but you could apply the framework to anything. This like little, like, I think it costs you like $9 to download or something on my website. Um, but it's called the How to Get Into Cannabis Guide. And it basically talks about this framework for any new industry. And so that the second step after you've gone through that huge list is to create an Excel spreadsheet where you can basically input in there who are all the centers of influences, who are the people who are the movers and shakers in a new industry. And I'll write them all out and try to follow them on every social media platform I can. And then I'll write out what are the conferences that are related to this? And what are the big three that I might be able to go to? And I'll try to figure out a way to get in there. And then I'll write what are the books that I should read on the subject? And then, you know, and then I'll write, what, what are the, the questions that I have overarching on this? And so I end up getting sort of this dossier on a subject um, that one is very transferable. I can give it to somebody else if they want to learn on it. But two gives me a roadmap. So it's not so overwhelming when you want to make a change. And once you immerse yourself in things, it's just much easier to speak the language. Um, and so that's usually my process. Jesus, I couldn't write fast enough, so I'm probably gonna have to go back after this recording, <laughs> after the YouTube video goes up, and write all this down myself because that is Ooh, awesome. Because that's that is a gold mine, particularly your thought process when it came to the dossier. Like I've never, I've done, you know, we all go down that Google rabbit hole because it's a deep hole that yeah. everybody goes through, but not many people pull out the sources and drop them in a corner to make sure they can go back and take a look at it. So. Um, good grief. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk a little about, um, let's talk about contrarian thinking as the, as the newsletter slash blog, if you will, itself. How did that come about? Because you've done a lot of writing, of course, but that, cause there's a long space between when you did, um, the struggle isn't real podcast versus the next step. How did that, how did that come about as far as contrarian thinking? Sure. Well, you know, one of the things about finance is, and any big business, typically, they don't really like you to be very public. You know, they want you to kind of shut up and do the job. And so when I was writing The Struggle, or when I had the podcast, The Struggle Isn't Real, and I had a blog that corresponded to it, that must have been, that's years ago now, like six or seven or eight years. Um, I was writing at the time, but I was running a large company too. And, um, and I was running it, I was an entrepreneur, you know, I was running it inside of a company. And I remember at the time they were basically like, you know, Cody, you could move the market, which is uh, something you say in finance, if you could move the stock price of something with the, these things that you're writing, like we can't have it at the company. And I like kind of chuckled because it was like me, my mom, my dad, maybe my brother would email and like and listen to it sometimes. Nobody cared. And so I was like, move the market. If the market is the household of Sanchez's in Phoenix, Arizona, then yeah, maybe. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so they, you know, they didn't like that I had that, that piece. And so it was either basically, uh, you know, stop working at the firm and stop running this business or stop this side project. So, you know, I said, okay, I guess I won't do the side project anymore. And, um, and so I stopped and, you know, I always wonder what would have happened if I followed that road to fruition, because I think it's more what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's, um, you know, and what's interesting is the world to me seems to give you the same walls and obstacles again and again, until you make the right decision. And, um, 
<laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm divorced. I think the world did that to me with men, um, you know, until I found Chris. Uh, you know, the, this actually wasn't the first company that, that I had to shut down. I actually had another one way back in the day, like 10 years, 12 years ago or something called Selling South that I ended up having to sell. Um, when I was at State Street. And then finally, with even the last firm that I was at, you know, it was hard for them to understand why I had this other, you know, business and was a partner at a firm. And thankfully, in private equity in BC, that's gotten more normalized. But I think it was, in t- you know, the universe kept saying, until you're going to fully go in all in on this, Cody, we're not, we're not going to let you have a little dalliance. We're not going to ha- let you have a little affair. You're, you've got to get married or you got to get out. Right. And um, and so that's what happened to that. And, and why now, with contrarian thinking, I've really gone all in. I mean, this, um, this business has been so interesting to run. It went from a little side project I started right? didn't have to travel 24 seven to now we have tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people reading each week. And, um, and it's become a way for us to get investors and for us to get deal flow. And I'm interested to see where it goes in the next year. That's, uh, that's amazing. Cause I, I feel like what you said just there when it came to the universe itself is absolutely true. Cause what happens is no matter how much you deny it or you run away from it, you're gonna, like you said, you're gonna hit the same roadblocks over and over again. And every time it leads you right back to the same spot. I can't tell you how many people I know who are entrepreneurs or you know, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, shall we say, who know for a fact they should be doing something and say it out loud. And they keep trying to go elsewhere and they keep hitting the same wall and it keeps taking them back and they just keep denying it. So that's, that's absolutely awesome and amazing. That's absolutely a fact. As a matter of fact, we've got a, we actually have, like I said, we're alive. So we have a, a guest question for you, Cody, if you don't mind. And this question comes sure. from Mr. Mike Tarvella. Good gracious, Oliver. What is going on with this? This is huge. All right, let's, let's, let's <laughs> what is going on here? Okay, so Mike asks, what's the next milestone of the cannabis industry to help evolve it into the next level? Great question, Mike. Cool uh, graphics, by the way. So, yeah, I, for the cannabis industry, I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we need to have safe banking packed, uh, pass in some way, shape or form. So we need to have cannabis companies actually be able to use credit cards and major national banks as opposed to regional banks. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies we have that are doing tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and they cannot use credit cards. That is astounding. Um, so that's first. And then and then second is the big one. Second is uh, legalization across uh, the country with something like the States Act. But I think those are really the two, the really the only two things that are big and actually matter. There will be more states that come online. There will be more you know, rules for legalization for medical, legalization for recreational. But those two are what we need to see happen in cannabis. Mm, I love it. I love it. That is uh, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, thanks for the question, Mike. Absolutely appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, for writing that question in. Um, so, Cody, I, I wanted to talk real quick. Um, you also talked about, um, most recently, you talked about your thought process on the, uh, the the foreclosures that are coming. I saw an article on that. I wanted you to be able to go into that because this is a, a more real estate-based audience, but I don't want to just be on real estate, but this is definitely something. I'm being a little bit selfish here, ladies and gentlemen. I do want to know this myself. 
So I'm going to leave the floor to you and then we'll keep going afterwards. Sure. So I have a great friend, Aaron Amuchastegui. If you want to follow somebody who really understands real estate, you can either on contrarianthinking.co, there's an entire blog post on there. So just go to contrarianthinking.co, subscribe, it's free. And you can see we did a very deep dive with Aaron on foreclosures, how to buy them, what's coming in real estate. This is largely related to to residential property, although there's some commercial in there as well. And what's fascinating is he has made an entire business. He went from, you know, $0 to bankrupt to now being worth like, you know, quite healthy eight figures. Um, And he did it all through buying houses at auction, foreclosure auctions in particular. And what, you know, him and I talk about a lot is what's happening in the state of the foreclosure market. So there's this thing called shadow inventory, right? Which basically means this is inventory that the banks are keeping on their balance sheet and they're not releasing to the market yet for whatever reason. And what's interesting is right now today, you've actually seen shadow inventory climb while the amount of listings that are actually listed on foreclosure websites or at auction has steadily sort of stayed the same, maybe even in some ways declined slightly. Typically, when you have unemployment as high as it was, and when you have, um, you know, the sort of um, economic environment that we've had, you'd see foreclosures go up quite a bit. Um, But in this instance, I think the banks thought they could continue to get more capital for them. So they sat on them for a period. Um, So I think it's something to watch. I um, am actually going to go with Aaron in Texas and try to buy a few of these houses at property or on uh, on foreclosure. But it is by and large, I mean, he buys properties from anywhere from let's call it fifteen percent to fifty to sixty percent discount at their market value price by going and buying them at auction. And he gave me this wild playbook that we posted on Contrary and Thinking of every single way that to do it. And then if you go to Contrarian Thinking and click on that article for premium, he actually walks everybody through a mini masterclass on it. That's amazing. Um, So all of that's really fun to to dive into. And I think there will be a pretty big opportunity there, probably more towards the end this year. That's amazing. And I agree. I've I've had that same thought, particularly with the the whole um, foreclosure thing, because I've seen the numbers in the market prior to as opposed to they are now. And I'm located in Baltimore. So Baltimore might be a little extreme, Yes, Baltimore has some weird craziness happening, but there's it's not the only place and it's not secluded in that that uh, that particular issue as it stands right now. So in in the vein of the cold COVID-19 thing, I did want to give you a chance to talk about the how it's affected the cannabis industry specifically, because I know that's somewhere you kind of specialize in and you're very, very well versed in what's happening there. Um, as dope as Cody Sanchez is, that has been one of the one things that has been the most, the coolest to be able to hear you talk about. So if you could, please, Cody, could you talk a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis space when it comes to COVID-19 and what you see happening next? Well, you know, COVID-19 originally I thought could be a death blow for cannabis because if they would have shut down cannabis companies, given the fact that they have no access to lines of credit or debt for the most part, they can't survive a shutdown like other industries can. And so I thought if they don't allow them to be deemed an essential service, we're going to be in really big trouble. And thankfully, that's not what happened. And they lobbied and they were determined as an essential service because many people think about cannabis as a type of medicine and use it in that way. Um, 
Um, and so from that perspective, COVID was largely net positive for cannabis. Um, the cannabis industry continued to grow while many other industries, if not most un- other industries, pulled back. People uh, spent more on cannabis this year than in any year prior. More states were legalized this year than in any year prior. Um, so in fact, COVID-19 has been really, really positive overall for cannabis. And, you know, the truth is the industry is still growing at a double digit CAGR, compound annual growth rate just means how much they're growing year over year. So I anticipate, you know, I, I kind of thought if we went into a recessionary period, and if we do go into a recessionary period, I imagine that cannabis companies will stop selling as much luxury product as they do, the more high-end product. And and just like you see in a recessionary environment for medicine, people start buying sort of the non-name brand um medicine sort of knockoffs and people end up buying cheaper wine. I think that same thing will happen in cannabis, but to date we, we haven't seen that. It's, it turns out that Americans have figured out what weed is and, and they like it. Wow. That, that's uh, <laughs> I, I did not realize that cannabis even was on the precipice of having that issue as, you know, if the shutdown happened, that would be a big thing. My thought process always, well, it's cannabis. Everybody's going to still be after cannabis, COVID or no COVID. I know a good 20 or 30 people right now off the top of my head that I could call and say, they're, hey, I don't care what happens in COVID. I'm, I'm getting that. I'm getting that into my, my house and I'm, I'm taking my medicine, that kind of thing. So that's that's really, really interesting to hear. Um, so let's let's talk about. Um, well, not even talk about. We're going to go into sections right now. Sections. And, and what this is, Cody, is there's a couple questions I'm going to ask you specifically as we're running about to run low on time. And I know you're a busy lady, so I got to get this done. So uh, first thing is what we call troop to task. And what this is, is you, Cody, give the listener something they can do to start down that contrarian path or to go down the path that you've already been to learn and to grow and to develop. And with that said, the troop to task, Cody, is on you. So um, I guess suppose what I would recommend is um, one, the reason that we started contrarian thinking is not... um, you know, just about, we talk a lot about finances, we talk a lot about money, but the reason that we talk about getting rich is because I have a sort of a three-step framework belief. One, that financial freedom leads to personal freedom, which leads to philosophical freedom. That without financial freedom, people have to focus on things like paying their rent, paying their mortgage, paying their medical bills, and they can't actually take the risk that is necessary in today's world to think for themselves and to push back on common narrative and common noise. And so the the biggest thing that I think you can do today for yourself is strive towards personal financial freedom, because as you get financial freedom, you are able to one, support causes that you care about. You're able to two, be a little bit louder about your opinions without any fear of sort of retribution retribution or pushback. And so that's why, you know, we started something called contrarian cash flow to get more people into sort of the cash flowing ownership seat, the passive income seat, because I do believe that once you have more of that financial latitude, um, you don't, it's not so scary. It's not so scary going out there and telling people what you really think. So I would say that that is where I would start is get your financial house in order. You know, it's kind of like Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, before you go and save the world, clean up your room. And, um, and I think it's the same thing, you know, before we go and try to solve the world's ails, let's try to get our, our family, our extended, our community in order. 
And once we do that, we can project a lot further and our resources can really make an impact. So I, I think that's my two cents. That's um that's a great two cents though because I, I've actually heard someone say this and they put it in a different way and very much shorter because they, they didn't want to talk to me but they said <laughs> they said you know it's like you're on an airplane and the airplane's going down and, and the the air mask pop out they said you, they tell you to put yours on first then take care of the, the child or whoever else is next to you the same thing with your finances if you know if you got family you have kids. You can't help your kids figure their finances out if your financial house, like you said, isn't in order. So that's a very, very, very good advice. And I absolutely appreciate that, Cody. Next question. This is a little bit harder. Uh, what what question do you wish you were asked more often? And what's the answer to that question? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I suppose I wish that, um, I don't know what the exact question would be, but something to the, to the tune of, um, we talk a lot about, you know, self-help and how to become better as humans. And I, I actually think one of the best things that you can do is read. And that's not that unique of a thing to say. You know, most people are out there telling you to read a thousand self-help books um, and push forward on that perspective. But I actually think one of the best things that you can do is read like really incredible works of fiction. I'm going back right now and reading Dune, um, which is one of my favorite books. Great. And um, and there's, yeah, it's a great book. And there's so many nuggets in there that make you realize why do we love fiction we love fiction because we love the hero the arc of the hero seeing the hero come from nothing go through insane struggles sort of have fallbacks go through incredible struggles again and finally emerge at this peak and i think what we've forgotten as a society at large is that there is no hero without the struggle you know you don't want to watch a movie where you're like woke up got everything you want get everything you want. Next day, also get the girl. Next day, you're super rich. Next, like That's not that interesting. Uh, what we actually want is struggle overcome. And so I wish, I suppose more people would ask me something along the lines of, you know, what is, what is the, what is the best struggle that you've ever had? What is the hardest thing that you've ever done? Um, you know, what, what are you proud that you've overcome? Um, because I think we should celebrate more of those difficulties and failures, not just for having them, but for having overcome them. Because that's the only way that uh, I think humans are actually happy. And I think that's the only way we're fulfilled. And right now as a society, I think we're soft and we're not doing enough hard things. And, and me included many times, to be definitely fair. No, that's fair. I'm I'm soft sometimes too. I think we all have it in us to be a little softy every now and then. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, although we do need to pull back on it a little bit. Um, so, Cody, thank you so much for for coming on again. Uh, I wanted to give you the plat the platform the the second to be able to provide everybody a way they can get in contact with you. I know you've mentioned contrarianthinking.co a couple times. I made I managed to squeeze it in before you got in. You managed to squeeze in twice once we got in. I say we do it a, a fourth time as well. So go for it. Yeah, thank you. Contrarianthinking.co is great. And then, um, you know, you and I connected on Instagram. So I'm Cody Sanchez on Instagram. Same thing on Twitter, Cody underscore Sanchez. Those are the two platforms that I'm probably the most active on. And and what I'd love to hear from people on here is just more of, you know, what you need help with, more of what's interesting, um, more of what you've liked to, to spend more time digging into. Um, those That really helps us actually create things that matter for people. So happy to connect, DM me. I definitely answer them. Got it. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. For those who are live, Mike Tarvella, Jason Coach, and Shalisa Perry, we appreciate you guys for listening in and watching. 
I hope you pot something from this and you learn from Cody. I definitely say out, say go check out contrarianthinking.co. I'm gonna say it was that six times, six times, six times now. Go go check it out. Be a part of it. Uh, Miss Harold, thank you for popping in as well. Please, please, please go check it out. Go read. I'm, I promise you, you will learn quite a bit from Cody as I have in the short time I've been able been exposed to her and learned from her. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much again, Cody. Thank you so much again. We're gonna break now, and I hope you guys have a great day. for listening to the oliver perry show be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform and as always be sure to follow oliver at the oliver perry on instagram oliver perry on linkedin and the oliver perry show on youtube until next time take care